Good evening. Sorry for the delay. I got to be my, my sound man's out tonight, or sound girl. So I got to be my own. You having a nice weekend? Hallelujah. You know, that's the thing about when light shines. Darkness can't do a thing about it. It just leaves. It just leaves. And I mean, we, we have a light on the inside of us. The Bible says, let your light so shine before people that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall, listen, be my witnesses. He didn't say do witnessing. He meant that, obviously. But, you know, just the way you carry yourself out there is light. And there is nothing the darkness can do about it. Don't be intimidated. They should be intimidated. <clears throat> Amen. Okay, so we're into Romans chapter 5. Last meeting, we talked about faith in trials. If you weren't here, you, you should really get that, listen to that podcast. But um, we've established as comprehensively as there is in the whole word of God, righteousness by faith, and that we now have peace with God. And we can now even be optimistic in the midst of the worst circumstances. You know, but... Um, this chapter 5 then talks about Jesus undoing what was done, undoing the curse, undoing everything that was done in Adam. And in chapter 5, and we're not going to really talk too much this time about it. I mean, we're going to come back next time and, and finish the chapter. But there's two words that keep coming over and over again in chapter 5, comparing what God did in Adam when sin entered to what Christ did, what God did in Christ. I mean, to what Satan did through Adam, pardon me, I misspoke, to what God did in Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Christ is called the last Adam. He started a natural race through the first Adam, a spiritual race through the second Adam. But the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, came to undo the curse that the first Adam allowed in. And we're going to take a look at that tonight. But the two words that that more that keep that we, we keep seeing in Romans chapter 5 are much more. If when we were enemies, Christ died for us, how much more will he do for you now that you've been reconciled? If death reigns through the one, how much more will life reign through us? How much more will those of us who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I mean, we talked about last time about faith in trials and why we can rejoice in trials because if we're believing that and standing on that and have our hope anchored to that, then the worse the trial is, how much more... Glory is God going to get from the victory over that. And that's what we're looking at. But again, like I said, we're going to take a look at the entrance of the problem. And 
why God had to do things the way he did it this time and actually get some insight into the tactics of the enemy, the devil. I, I mean, the book of Romans, for reasons that only God knows, doesn't really give us any revelation about Satan. We have to look in other places like Ephesians and, and, and you know, Corinthians and Colossians and, and to get insight into him. But Romans talks a lot about what Satan uses and, and how we give him access to our lives without mentioning him himself. It, it talks a lot about sin. And when I t talk about sin, it, I'm, I'm not talking about what this is a sin and that's not a sin. I'm talking about the nature of the sin. You know, remember we discussed that before? What the law did was give us the knowledge of sin. Like everything that the law says, thou shalt not do. There's something about us that says, but I want to. <laughs> and thou shalt not, but I don't want to do this, but I want to do that, or thou shalt do this, but I don't want to do that. There's something about us that doesn't want to do that, and that's what the law was given. One of the reasons why what the law was given was to show us that there's an issue with us, and it's called sin. It's called the sin nature. So we're going to start in Romans 5.12, and actually this is the only verse we're going to look at today in the book of Romans, because we're going to take a look at how this happened and what the result was. And what the enemy used, because we're going to find out that he's very limited as to the tactics he can use against us. So it says, therefore, just as through one man, because once again, remember the words, though. I don't want you to get discouraged. Much more if through one man. So we're going to say how much this entered, how much more do we have access to life through the last Adam? So just as through one man, sin entered to the world and death through sin. Now, I want you to understand this is what God, why God hates sin, because he loves us. And sin gives, gives, bring, opens the door to death. Every sin, every act of sin, everything that God said is sin, any response to the nature of sin, opens the door or is investing in death. You know, God set this whole whole uh, uh, creation up to operate through spiritual laws. We talked about that before. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, Galatians 6, I think it's verse 7, said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever we sow, we reap. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. Oh, incidentally, after Paul locates where the sin nature is, in chapter 7, where he says, sin, which is in my members. So that's where, that's, that's where the sin nature resides, within the body. And we know our body, while it's bought and paid for, isn't redeemed yet. So once he locates that, he stops calling it sin and starts calling it the flesh in chapter 8. But he's talking about the same thing. He's not talking about our bodies are evil, but he's talking about the sin nature that lives in our bodies. So... Just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, thus de death spread upon all men for, because all sin. You see, when God set this thing up, when he created everything, he created everything to produce after its own kind, right? I am totally do not believe and I'm very sure that the theory of evolution is just that, a theory. You know what, a the you know what I, I've heard someone define a theory as a supposition 
based on ignorance of any given topic. Theories are called theories because they're not proven, right? Once something's th proven, I mean, it's not a, a theory of gravity. It's a law of gravity. Once it's an established fact, it becomes a law of gravity. Evolution is a theory. God produced everything to produce after its own kind. Monkeys produce monkeys. Chickens produce chickens. Cats produce cats. You can go a billion years, and a monkey will never produce a human. It's just not going to happen. It didn't happen that way. God produced everything after its own kind. And the problem is, is the first man he produced allowed sin in before he reproduced. And so now all he could reproduce is people who have that same sin nature. Which is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Sin is passed down through the Father. Did you know you get your blood type from your father? I mean, to me, that's a miracle. You're just a cell in your mother's body, a little egg, and it's fertilized by the father, but, but completely sustained by the mother, but the blood is all the father's type. That's where, and, and that, I mean, women have the sin nature, but it gets passed down through the men. So Jesus interrupted that. We're going to look at that later. But first, we're going to take a look at the operation of sin. It says, let no one say, first of all, this is James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God does not tempt you with evil. God's not putting you through a test. God will send you into battle. We know that. We've seen that. We've seen Jesus send his his disciples into a storm, he will, he will send you where the enemy is. And as we you know, brought out last meeting, if you're, if you're doing God's will, you're, you're going to run into the devil. He's going to try to stop you. He's going to try and hold you back. He can't do it unless he deceives you. That's his, oper that's his whole operation is deception. So God does not himself tempt anyone. He's not testing you. He's not putting temptations in front of you to see what you'll do. He already knows what you're going to do. Amen? So it says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So, well, we'll just keep going. Then when his desire has conceived... That's what happens when sin happens. Did anyone ever? <laughs> I got to be careful about what examples I use here. I won't use any examples. But th this is how it works. The thought comes and you say, nah, I shouldn't do that. But maybe it looks good, right? And you think about it. And then, well, I mean, we've all done it, right? And then somewhere internally, there's a little flip that's a switch that flips, and we go from resisting it to doing it. I don't care if it's something we're eating or, 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 or if you watch a TV show. And did you ever, did you ever sit down to, to, you know, do you have any series that you like to watch? Nobody? No one will admit it. So, you know, you just, well, I, I got, you know, I got an hour. And I'll just, I'll just watch one episode, and then I'll go do something else. Six hours later, you're still there, right? 
you've wasted the whole day or the whole evening or you or you're up and you're up at two o'clock in the morning when you need to get up at five o'clock for something the desire conceived and gave birth to something right I mean the definition of, of the word to sin when it says to sin it just it simply means missing the mark you know it, it's doing doing something wrong so that would be I guess a sin but the thing of it is is when sin is full grown it brings forth death different kinds of death so what you want to do is control it and not let the desire conceive you you you, you have to think about it long enough in order for it to conceive amen you know um, I once heard a person say you know con talking about controlling your thought life you know comparing it he said you you can't help it if birds are going to fly over your head, right? Thoughts are going to come. Bad thoughts, thoughts that we have no business having, present themselves to us every day, don't they? So one said, you, that's like, they're, they're not your thoughts, right? They're being, this is how the enemy operates. He'll present it to you like it's you. Why am I even thinking that? Well, because the devil is whispering in your ear, spiritually speaking. That's why you're thinking that. But you don't want to let the thought conceive. You, what happens? Jesus put it this way about fear. And by the way, fear is, is a lust. Did you know that? Well, th think of it. It's a lust. It's something to be overcome. We do not have, it is not of the spirit. Now, there is a spirit of fear, but, but this is way in the future. This is chapter 8. We haven't been given a spirit of bondage again. So that means if any of you have not been born again or, say, spent any time not born again, I don't want to get too technical because I have a lot to cover tonight, but I believe that, you know, children are born spiritually alive. And if the first time... They, they hear the gospel and understand it. They accept it. I believe that they've gone, they'll go through this whole life having never died spiritually. We're going to talk in a minute about different kinds of death. One of them is spiritual death. <clears throat> but Jesus said this, why take thought saying? And yeah, anyway, I was talking about, I lost my train of thought that fear is a lust we don't it's not of the spirit there is the old spirit the dead spirit the spirit that's separated from God is a fearful spirit we're gonna see that but fear is your enemy fear and faith are exact opposites and if without faith it's impossible to please God then we can't please God be pleasing to God and be fearful at the same time. Now, how do we overcome the spirit of fear? But, and, and actually, I guess I do. God wants me to spend a minute on this. See, I've noticed, I've noticed this, and, and it's been so long, because I've been, I've been saved a lot longer than I haven't been. I, I was 20, I was older than most of you, or maybe probably all of you when I got saved. I was 24. Spent a lot of time in the work, in the world, but doing all those things but one thing I noticed about fear when I became a new Christian is it was different an unbeliever 
You can, when they get afraid, they'll, they'll say something like, my heart just leapt into my mouth, something like that. In other words, the fear came out of them. Fear does not come out of me anymore. That's, I, I mean, it's, it's been so long since I, I forget what it's like to have fear come out of me because I don't have a spirit of fear. But fear comes at me from the outside. I've noticed the difference. It presents itself to me to be afraid. And, and you can push it back. You don't have to be afraid. There's, no, there's really nothing to, there is no fear. I don't know how many times God said in the Bible, fear not, fear not, fear not. The Lord is on my side. Of whom shall I fear? So if you're struggling with fear, that's something that, first of all, it's not of the Spirit. Second of all, you need to believe you can overcome it. Right? So the weapons of our warfare, because this is the warfare, are not carnal, they're not natural, they're not of this world, but they're mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when the thought presents itself to you, you can speak back to it. We're going to look at that tonight. But that's when you want that's that's when you want to fight the battle of sin entering is in the thought life I, I said all that because if you don't allow yourself to think about it if as soon as you recognize the thought and you recognize the thought right away you you can cast it down right and you do it with your mouth we talked about that in the past then sin never has a chance to conceive that's the way it works Jesus put it this way. He said, why take thought? And he was talking about fear. He was talking about worry. He's saying, why take thought? Listen, saying, what shall I eat? What am I going to drink? How am I going to be clothed? In other words, why take the thought? Saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, we talked about this previously. We don't ever, ever, ever have to take that thought by saying it. When you, when you find it coming out of your mouth, you've taken the thought. You've accepted it. You know, Jesus said, Jesus said it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? And when you find your mouth saying things that shouldn't be saying, almost like automatically, that's, that's in your heart in abundance. And you need to work on getting it out of there. You need to work on filling your heart with faith. Filling your heart with God's word. Filling your heart with love. We've already found out last lesson that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Right? And perfect love casts out fear. Okay. Finally, brethren, this is Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Control what you're thinking, right? You've got to do this on purpose, though. Right? Right? Because... While God is more powerful and the light is stronger, he doesn't force himself on anybody. He's gentle. He's meek. He's, he's made the move. He came. He came in Jesus. He's reaching out. 
He's, he's calling out to everybody. But you have to receive him on purpose. And he won't try to deceive you. Keep Proverbs 4.23. I know I'm, I'm going fast here, but I, I have a lot to, like I said, I have a lot to cover. And like I said a couple of lessons ago, all anyone in the pulpit can do speaking figuratively, is take you down the middle of the mine shaft and point to where the treasure is. You need to go back and dig it out yourself. If all you ever do is just hear someone's message in the pulpit and don't go back and dig it out, you'll lose pr pretty much all of it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. So ask God to give you the understanding on all these things. Keep your heart. That word keep could, could also just as easily be translated with guard. Guard your heart. See, God meets all our needs from the inside out. The new life that you're called to flows from the inside out. When we get, when we get to chapter 8, we're going to talk, talk in, in depth about being led by the Holy Spirit. And as we brought out, you can't, get to the good, you can't get to the perfect will of God without that. Because it's very personal. Nobody can tell you what God's plan is for your life but God himself. Because they don't know. He's not going to tell them what he's called you to do. Unless, unless he knows they're mature enough and spiritual enough and wise enough not to tell you, but to pray for you to discover it for yourself. Because if I tell you what God wants you to do, and when you go out there and the going gets tough, even though it's right, you'll be like, well, how do I know Pastor Neil didn't miss it? You're right. How do you know? But if you hear it from God himself, you'll have the faith to stand. Why? Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Guard your heart with all diligence. You know, think of your heart as like a garden, because we're going to go to the garden in a bit here. And he's given you a garden, right? We know the heart is the garden, because, because Jesus talked about the, the heart in the parable of the sower. How if the heart is good, it's tilled, it's prepared, it's receptive, and it's cared for, it's weeded, the stones are taken out, it's going to produce, right? And if, it's, and if it's neglected, it's not going to produce. Guard your heart. Guard it. Your heart is your garden. God wants you to guard it. He wants you to sow good seeds into it. He wants you to keep the bad seeds out. Out of it spring the issues of life. Out of your heart. Out of your heart comes your provision. Out of your heart comes your direction. Out of your heart comes your healing. Out of your heart comes your wisdom. Everything from the inside out. It's the seed of his son that he's planted in you. Now, when you plant his word in you, his spirit's going to use that word, and it's going to lead you in accordance with that word. It's going to bring up promises of God that he made that you can stand on when you're out there walking on the water, right? Out of your heart. Okay. So we're going to look at death now. First of all, there's different kinds of death mentioned in Scripture. Obviously, the one we all know about is physical death. James says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. We're going to focus on the first part of that verse tonight. The body is dead without the spirit. So that's physical death. 
you as a human being will never, ever, ever cease to be, right? Physical death is simply the relocation of the human spirit to one place or another. When the spirit leaves the body, the body dies, right? That's physical death. But then there's spiritual death, what God, what God called, uh, calls dead to God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, like I brought out, I believe that it's possible for a human being to never ever having experienced this. Babies aren't spiritually dead when they're born. They die when they get an understanding of the gospel or, or when God, as we talked about in Romans chapter 1, when, when, you know, when they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their own imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. Spiritual death entered in. I know I remember exactly when it happened to me and I was only five years old. I don't know, you know, it doesn't, it's not a set time it happens to people, but when people get a revelation of something and they reject it, that's when it enters in. We're going to see that's what happened to the human race. But I was at a, um, um, a church of the Nazarene. One of my friends invited me there. We were having, they're having like a puppet show or something. But, it, you know, and it was for, it was for little kids. They, and they would, and, but they did their puppet show and presented the gospel in a way that would be understandable to little kids. And I understood it. I remember to this day standing there at the altar call thinking, I have to do that or I'll go to hell. Five years old. And I looked at my brother and he didn't move. And I looked at my friend and he, he didn't move. So I didn't move. Peer pressure. Something entered me that day. I took a terrible, I started doing things that, I mean, in my life just spun out of control from that day forward. Really, it was gradual, but by the time I was, you know, 18, I was arrested three times. I was, I was expelled from high school a couple of times. I, you know, couldn't hold it. I mean, I just fell apart in my life. Spiritual death, separation of the human spirit and the spirit of God which is why we need the new birth. And then there is the final death. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. You know, they're not going to be very small or very great. They're all going to be the same standing before God in that day. We've got to understand that greatness in this life isn't what's important. What, what, what we do for God in this life is important. Getting recognition from people is worthless. Worthless. It's nice to get attaboys. We all like it. But if you need it, you're, you're lacking spiritually. You, need, you don't need people to recognize you. You really don't. Your priorities are off if it's important to you. So the sea gave up its dead that were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up, and the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Well, we talked about that already. That's not going to work out too well for anybody. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Death means the grave. See, the Bible says that that's the last enemy. Death is an enemy of God, by the way. God is life. He's light. He's called life. He is absolute life. He is, he is eternal life. Death is no friend of his. 
Again, that's why God hates sin, because it opens the door to death, not because he doesn't want us to have any fun and he's mean. He loves us. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's pretty much the criteria. See, nobody, the works aren't going to be work out for anybody. We covered that in chapter 2, if you remember that. Nobody, nobody in chapter 3 concluded it. All have sinned, so nobody is going to earn their way into heaven. I don't care how pious they think they are. So let's go back from the beginning, okay? Why God had to do things the way he did and when sin entered in. Again, we already established that he created everything. He made the, the plants, the vegetation, the animals. Everything produces after its own kind. It's already been established. And then this is the crown of his creation. Watch this now. Then God said, let us, let us. Who do you suppose he's talking to? There you go. He's the Trinity, remember? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're three separate persons. So united that they, they constitute one God, right? I mean, isn't marriage supposed to be a representation? We talked about this, of Christ and the church, right? And what did he say about the two? Did he, first, you know, this is interesting because he made the... Well, we'll talk about it. We'll get to it in these verses, actually. So let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have... Watch, this is God. Remember, God, it's impossible for him to lie. He will never, ever, ever go back on his word. So he created hu the human species. And he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. You know, I can take this right here as marching orders. Remember what we talked about last lesson? What God commands you to do, you can do. Remember? You don't need to send the multitudes away. You feed them. That was only not only a command and a direction, but power to do it. Get in the boat and go to the other side. That wasn't only a command. It, within that was the power to get there. That's why he wasn't pleased that they were out there toiling. They should have been doing it by faith in what he said. Be fruitful and multiply. Blessed. That's what blessed means. Empowered. We, as human beings, are empowered to be fruitful and multiply. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put a New Testament application to that. It means we are empowered to multiply, be fruitful, create other new creations in Christ through the power of his word. You are empowered by God himself to win souls. That's what we're doing here. Right? What's the point in waiting around to go to heaven if we're not going to take anybody with us? 
be fruitful. Have dominion. You were created to have dominion over all of creation. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then, in chapter 2 and verse 8, he said, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and he put the man whom he had formed. There he put the man who he had formed. By that time, no, not by that time, never mind. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, by this time, he had taken the one, divided him into two, and brought him back together. And that's why it was written right there that the man shall leave his father and the woman her home, and the two shall become one. So he divided the two, the one into two, and made him one again. We talk, um, I, I talk a lot, and, and, I, and I really think God wants to, you to get, get this over to you, that it's incredibly, incredibly, massively important that you marry correctly, the right one. Massively important. Because once you enter into the covenant of marriage, it's very binding. Even if it was wrong at first, once you do it, it's not wrong now, right? But you're going to have a rough time if you don't have the same vision. Serving God, it's going to be hard. So, but he gave, he put them in the garden to tend and keep it. Tend. Cultivate. An assignment. So the garden, although God planted it, it didn't have its full potential yet. He wanted the people, he wanted the man and his wife to, go, to cultivate the garden, right? He said produce, cover the earth, right? Not just with other people, but with the garden. The garden was supposed to grow to cover the whole earth. Paradise, right? Keep it. Same word we saw in Proverbs, guard it. Now, why would he tell them to guard the garden? unless there was a potential threat to the garden, right? Why would he tell you to guard your heart? Because there's a lot of threats to your heart. You face them every day. Diligently guard the, your heart. Diligently guard the garden. And he gave him something else. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. I wish there was a way he didn't do this, but I understand why he did it. A choice. Did you ever think about this? I mean, absolute perfection. Paradise. One potential threat. But he was a fallen angel. He had no authority here. All he had were lies. All he had was deception. By the way, that's all he's got now against you since you got born again. If he can't deceive you, he can't hurt you. And there was absolutely only, I mean, anything you want you can do. All of it's yours. 
this incredibly handsome, intelligent, magnificent, perfect man, this incredibly beautiful, perfect woman, total innocence, perfect, I mean, they had it all. And there was only and anything they wanted, only one possible thing they could do wrong. Do that. Don't do that one thing. Everything else is fine. Just that one thing. Just don't do it. Do you think something inside you would say, but I want to? <laughs> sure they did. Oh, good. It took longer to lose my connection than usual. So, let's take a look at it. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of, the field, beast of the field. Now, this is just me, okay? I don't believe this was a snake. You know, Revelation, I think it's, I don't know, 13.7. I may be wrong about that. But it talks about the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan. See, I don't think this was a snake slithering up to Eve in the garden. I think this was Lucifer himself, someone who fell because of his own pride about his own beauty. You know, I, I can't just imagine a, a woman talking to a snake. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't believe it was a snake. I believe it was Lucifer himself. And he just, when, when you know, the, you know the, ever notice that God has different titles and the devil has different titles? You know, I believe when he's called the serpent, it's when he's being deceptive. When he's called the dragon is when he's killing, stealing, and destroying, and you know, that sort of thing. So he was more cunning than any beast. Didn't say he was a beast. He said he was more cunning than the beasts. So the hands of the threat, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? You know, he's, he's trying to put his spin on it. He will, he will uh, quote God to you, by the way. We're going to see that. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. I don't know if what she added to what God said had anything to do with it, but, you know, you don't usually have to add to what God says. What God says is usually enough. He didn't say anything about not touching it. He just said, Don't eat it. Probably wasn't a good idea to touch it anyway, you know. I mean, you know, don't eat that. And so you just start rubbing on it and stuff. It's just, <laughs> it just gets closer to eating it. But watch this. When the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Oh, by the way, I, I neglected to say this to you. When God said, thou shalt surely die, the original Hebrew actually used the word die twice. It, it isn't in the Greek thou shalt surely die or you will surely die it really just said you will die die because there's more than one kind of death right and we all know well we all know the story don't we i mean hopefully you do that that they did eat it i mean we're going to see that in the next verse but we also all know they were still living and breathing the next day but God said, the day you eat it, you'll die, die. What happened? Spiritual death entered in and physical death began. 
That's what happens. You know, when you cut a branch off of a tree, it's, it's as good as dead, right? But if you do it the right time of year, you know, you do it in late March or something like that, it'll appear to be living. It'll start blooming, you know, if it lays there long enough when, when you know. But it's got no source of replenishing in it. It took them a while to die, but they died spiritually that day. God wasn't wrong. You will not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, I kind of believe that the devil kind of believed this himself, actually, about God, right? He thought, God's jealous of me because I'm so beautiful. I mean, if you read it, when he was cast out, it was because he was trying to exalt himself over the throne of God. And God threw him out of heaven for it. So when the woman, watch this now, this is, saw that the tree was good for food, what she's doing, she's meditating on it, right? She's thinking about what he said. What God said wasn't good enough. She's thinking about, she's, she's beginning to question the, the word of God. And she's beginning to look and saw, look, it, looks, it looks good, right? Looks good. It, 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 it looks like it would be tasty. It's beautiful. It's pleasant to the eyes. And it's desirable to make one wise. This is the three things that the devil has to use against you. We're going to look at this in a minute. And she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave her husband with her, and he ate. He was standing right there. What a guy. Wonder what's going to happen when she eats him. Guard the garden, Adam. I mean, it isn't written, but also I believe his also part of his responsibility was to guard his wife, protect her. And she had no business operating independently of him. Better be careful who you marry. You don't operate independently of each other. You are one. You're in union. She was deceived. He did it with his eyes wide open. So remember this. She saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Let's look at 1 John for a minute. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Watch this now. For all, all, all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, good for food. Lust of the eyes, good for the eyes. Desire, the fruit was what? Pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life, desirable to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. There you have it. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 
You know, one thing that's crept into the church these days, unfortunately, you hear too much of it, is that, and I'm not, and I don't know, you know, individually, I'm not, because I don't know, I can't read someone's heart, but it's just obvious from what we hear so much that we put so much stake on this life here. Right? My future. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get off on that. Point is, is this isn't our permanent home, folks. This is so, so, so temporary. And I know I, I, I can remember being young and, and thinking how long it is. It's not. When I told you that day when I was five years old, believe me, that doesn't seem like almost 60 years ago to me. I remember it like it was yesterday. It goes fast. Do not let this world and all that's in it, and by the way, that's what the devil has to use against you. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Jesus came to undo all this. But watch what happened. Watch, watch what happened with him. Over in Luke, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is right after the baptism of John. He was baptized by John. Do you know? If you don't know this story, Jesus, John saw, was baptizing. He saw Jesus coming. He said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Jesus presented himself to him, and John said, "I should be baptizing you." And Jesus said, "No, this has to be fulfilled this way." Jesus was baptized by John. He came up, and John saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. Did you know that that was up until that point? Jesus hadn't performed any miracles. He hadn't been out preaching. See, Jesus was born of a virgin. He never died spiritually, and he, didn't, and he didn't have that sin nature passed down to him, which made him the spotless lamb of God, as I brought out. This is why he had to be born of a virgin. But he also commanded his disciples, saying before he left, wait in Jerusalem, for you will receive power after many days when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the Bible says in Acts 1 verse 5, he commanded them not to leave, but wait until you're endued with power. Commanded. And I looked that word up in the Greek where he commanded them not to leave, and it means commanded. In other words, not a suggestion. Don't you dare try and go out and do this until you get my power to do it. But the first thing that, and that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and the next verse says, being tempted, the King James said, to be tempted. See, God didn't test us, but he led Jesus to be tempted. Why? Because he was the last Adam. And he had to pass a test that the first Adam failed. This was his first assignment. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when he ended, he was for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Well, when it says he was hungry, you know, after 40 days of not eating, you think? I don't know if any of you have ever gone on an extensive fast, but after a couple of days, you don't, you don't, you're not hungry anymore. Why? Because your body stops looking to your stomach for food and starts 
eating its reserves, right? But when hunger returns, the reserves are used up and you're beginning to starve to death. See, that's what was happening. That's, that's where Jesus was. He, was he, he got himself to this point where, of being completely vulnerable. And watch the, watch the devil does to him. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command the stones to become bread. Well, what's he, what's he, what's he playing on? Lust of the flesh. Watch what Jesus did. This is how you cast down imaginations. But Jesus answered him by saying, it is written. You put the word of God in your mouth. That's how you operate the sword of the spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, what would have been wrong with him commanding the stones to be made bread? It wasn't time to eat yet. We've got to learn how to control our bodies to do the things that God wants it to do, not what it wants to do. You all know you don't look a lot different if you ate everything you wanted whenever you wanted, right? Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the, of the world in a moment of time. You know, I see advertisers use this technique. One of the, one of the other gospels says, and the beauty of them, in a moment of time. Do you ever, do you ever see advertising where they'll, they'll flash a nice car or flash a mansion and flash this, you know, snazzy lifestyle, and it'll be on you for a second, and another image will come up, and it's, it's playing on the lust. What, the lust, the lust of the eyes? Showed them, I mean, they showed these glamorous vacation things like come to this city and you see this beautiful city. And meanwhile, if you walk through the streets, it's a gutter. You know, it's, it's a, but it, you know, they show it at night with all the lights lit up and it looks beautiful and glamorous and all the wonderful people that are, that are, that they want you to think are, have a better life than you do or, or there and you should be like them. And, you know, those different things. I mean, it's, it's in the world, right? So Jesus said to him, oh, and, he, and the devil said to him, watch this, all authority I will give you and their glory. This has been delivered to me. I will give it to whoever I wish. This was a real temptation. Well, where did he get it? Remember, God said, I give the man authority. So what was going on in the Garden of Eden was the devil swindling the man out of it. He's able to give his authority over the earth to anybody he wanted to. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, what did he say? All authority, both in heaven and on earth, is given to me. Therefore, you go in my name. See, that's God restoring the blessing, the empowerment go in my name and make disciples out of all men. See, that's God restoring the blessing and the empowerment to be fruitful and multiply. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Because he's God? No, because he was a man. He was the second Adam, the last Adam, who took back what the first Adam lost. He can't give it to whoever he wishes now. He's still running the world like he can. That's because the church hasn't risen up yet. God wants us to take it back. 
Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Then Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. This is why we have to have the word in our heart. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. Then he brought him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. He'll quote scripture to you. I hear him quoting scripture all the time. Coming out of pulpits too. Not all the time, but. Wait a minute. <clears throat> Just consider it. What would happen if a preacher is operating in pride? Right? What if he was up there looking for attaboys? Right? What if he was in it for the money? What spirit do you think is going to be talking through him? You think that you think the God of this world is going to let an opportunity like that go? To, to proclaim from a... To say it is written and twist the scripture? Wasn't he twisting what God said to Eve? It's what he does. He'll give his angels charge over you to keep you. Yeah, jump, jump. <laughs> In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Yeah, but not if you throw yourself off. You know, I never thought of this before, because he took, he took them to the pinnacle of the temple. I wonder if anyone saw him up there, you know. <laughs> Imagine going to the temple, and there's Jesus and the devil standing up. What are they doing up there? I never thought of that before. I wonder if anyone could see him. Anyway, Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, put it in his mouth. Now the devil had ended every temptation and departed from him for an opportune time. So when you when you uh don't get don't get don't get yourself puffed up in pride when you overcome, right? That's that can be a big mistake. Like I said last time, you know, you're gonna run into the devil out there. You, really, you just are. If you're not, you're probably going in the same direction. So he said he departed until an opportune time. He's going to go and lick his wounds. And believe me, that hurt. Remember what the, the sword of the spirit. It doesn't just for you. I mean, it cuts him. Right? So he went away to lick his wounds and look for a more opportune time, which, which he did. You know, he found, he found a lot of ways to get back at Jesus, you know, to, to, not to get back at him, but to attack him. He, usually through um, the religious people, the Pharisees and that sort of thing. So let's go back to the garden. So they did it, eat it, they ate, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. You know, naked wasn't a problem before that. Now it is. I'm not saying we shouldn't be ashamed if we're. Well, we shouldn't just. We shouldn't just be going around naked. <laughs> first, <laughs> first of all, because there's a sin nature, and then we don't want. And we don't want to. You know, we don't want to uh, work on the. We don't want to <clears throat> stimulate the lust of the eyes there. And you know, second of all, because for for the for the the opposite reason, it just looks a whole lot better covered. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, thanks to sin and death still taking its toll. So <laughs> it just <laughs> 
And they sewed fig leaves together. You know what? Sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You know, you know what I would compare that with? The doctor says, you have cancer. And you say, oh, okay, give me a Band-Aid. I mean, what's a fig leaf going to do? They had a whole lot bigger problem than that. Spiritual death entered in. Watch this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin consciousness. Even when you do sin, you should not give in to a sin consciousness. Hebrews says, come boldly, come confidently to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. When do we need mercy? If we didn't do anything wrong, we didn't need mercy, right? In other words, when you find yourself sinning, run to God. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Run to the throne of grace, not from him. That's the only way you'll get out of it. You don't have the power in and of yourself. You can't hide, and you can't hide from God anyway. I mean, that's kind of silly, right? And the Lord God called to him and said, where are you? You know, this, this reminds me, did you ever play peekaboo with a baby? You know, they cover their face up and you go, where are you? Well, you know good and well where they are. So I just believe God was looking for a response. He was looking for the man to come to him, you know. I'm so glad he's of that type of a nature. I mean, he could have just pointed his finger at the trees they were hiding behind, exploded them, and said, there you are, you nasty little sinner. What did you do? <laughs> but he didn't do it. Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Watch this. I was afraid. This is, an, this, is, this is something God never intended for us to experience. Fear. The spirit of power, love, and a sound mind became a spirit of fear when, when sin entered. And death came through sin. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Again, he knew good and well what happened. I mean, you don't think God knew when, 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 when the spirit of man was cut off from him immediately? The hairs on our head are numbered. When we fall out of, and that's what sin does, by the way. It breaks fellowship with God. Fellowship is when you're walking in harmony with God. The word fellowship is, can be translated communion. It can be translated intercourse. It's when you're walking arm in arm with God. God, what fellow, I mean, I've heard preachers say you, you, you can't break fellowship with God. Yes, you can. You do every time you sin. What fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness, Right? That's, that's Bible. God cannot fellowship with unrighteousness. It's another reason why God hates sin, because he likes, he likes us with him. 
right? And he cannot fellowship with sin. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, listen, here's what you do when you go to God to get forgiveness from your sin, right? Here's what you don't do. What, what, don't do what he's doing. Don't make excuses. There's no excuse. There's only mercy, right? No excuse. It's not your upbringing. It's not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your parents, your baby brother. Whatever they did, they didn't make you break fellowship with God. You did that yourself. Just admit it. Just repent. The woman, you get, first he blamed his wife, and then ultimately he blamed God. The woman you gave me. What did you do that for? If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have done it. No, don't. Just receive mercy. She gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. At least she was honest. She was deceived. You know, God held him accountable, not her. Right? I mean, he shouldn't have allowed the serpent to speak to her at all. But she shouldn't have acted independently of him either. Like I said, marry wisely. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you cursed more than all the cattle and, and, and more than any beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Once again, snakes don't eat dust. And I, but here's, here's the first prophecy of Jesus right here. I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Well, women don't have seed. The men are the ones who plant the seed. The women have eggs. But this is, this is a prophecy about the virgin birth. I'm going to put a division. See, God planted everything, and, and, and Lucifer understood this, to operate seed time and harvest, that he got the man to fall. He got his authority. He got him to be cursed, and then he knew he would have, to, he would have this authority. He thought he had God locked out of the world, right? He, he didn't understand that God, I mean, God heard he had the plan of salvation in, in, op, in effect even before he created everything. Genesis called, uh, not Genesis, Revelation called Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, I didn't read this verse, but in chapter 2 and verse 7, it talked about the actual creation of the man. It said he formed the man out of the, out of the ground, out of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the, bread of li- uh, the breath of life, different from any of the other creatures that he made. But I could just imagine, I, I could just in my head, pan, picturing this council here, because remember, it's let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, standing around talking about it. And I can just imagine the Father looking at the Son, because they knew what was going to happen. Nothing takes God by surprise. And saying, you ready for this? Because they all knew what it meant. They all knew 
that the son was going to have to become the man Jesus and bear the curse for us. They all knew that it was going to come to that. Just before he breathed into that lump of clay, looking at him, looking at Jesus and saying, you ready for this? <laughs> and Jesus saying, yeah, let's do it. I'll do it for you, Father. Do you know Jesus did what he did first for the Father? We talk about how much Jesus loves us, but he loved the Father. He did it because he loves the Father. The Father gave his Son because he loves us. And Jesus obeyed him because he loved his Father. Okay, where was I? It's starting to get late, huh? You guys getting tired? I'm going to put a division between your seed and her seed. He'll bruise your head... He's going to, did, did you see the passion of Christ? I thought that was the, the most powerful scene in that movie was in the garden. When Jesus looked at the devil and, and when the serpent was coming at him and the devil was trying to, you know, get him to feel sorry for himself and all that stuff. Remember that with the snake? And without saying a word, he just, you know, it was, it was symbolism. But this is what Mel Gibson had in mind with that scene. He just looked right at Satan defiantly and stomped the serpent's head. Remember that? I thought that was the most, you, you probably missed that one, huh? That, that got by you because you weren't aware that that's what was going on here? This, that was the symbolism here. That was Jesus crushing the serpent's head. And you'll, in other words, you'll wound him, but he's going to crush you. And to the woman said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children and your desire for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. See, the Bible says not to listen to your wife. <laughs> no, it's a joke. Don't listen to anybody who talks you out of God, right? Jesus did say, if you want to be my disciple, you got to. You got to hate your father, mother, husband, wife, children, your own life also. That doesn't mean hate the way we mean hate, but it's talking about like, like extreme rejection of one over the other. When your wife tells you something you know is going against God, then you don't listen to her. Absolute, or your husband, for that matter. But if you marry the right one, they'll never do that. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it, cursed is the ground for your sake. God put a curse on, on creation here. Why did he do that? Cursed is the ground for your sake. Where did, why is the flesh sinful in nature? Where is it from? It's of the earth. And the earth is cursed. The earth is under a curse. That's why, the, that's why the flesh, the, na the nature of the flesh, always wants to go against the spirit. Because it's not of the spirit. It's of the earth, and the earth is cursed. In toil you shall eat it all the days of your life. See, God undid that. We don't have to do toil anymore. Both thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so God put a limit 
on the ability of sin to spread it. He called it death. I'm going to start wrapping this up now. I want to go to Romans chapter 8 and look ahead quickly. We're going, to, we're going to spend a little bit more time on these verses when we get there. But I just want to show you why did God curse the whole thing. Again, he put a limit, he put parameter on sin and it's death. And I think I brought this out in, in another lesson. I mean, can you imagine if, if people never died? I mean, we talked about in the days of Noah, people back then uh, still lived for centuries, you know, at a time. And they had gotten to the point where the Bible said every thought that everybody had was always evil. I mean, the whole human, because I'm, again, imagine if Hitler lived for 500 years, what, how, how evil he could have, I mean, right? He just kept getting more and more wicked. So God put, put a limit on sin. He, God designed it so that sin bring, would bring forth death so that it can only do so much before, before, you know, death entered in. So in Romans 8 19, it says, The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This is talking about when Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. That's the revelation of the sons of God. Creation itself is going to be released from this curse at that time. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know about you, but I think about weird things like that. That How is this going to work? Because, first of all, it says that the animals, that even the lion will lay with the lamb, and even the lion, they're going to eat plants. So every, all the animals are going to be herbivores then. I wonder if, did you ever think about that? You look at, at, at carniv carnivorous animals, right? They're obviously have, have uh, set up to eat meat, you know. I wonder if their teeth are going to change or something, you know. But, it, I mean, the Bible says it, so I believe it. So the creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility. This is what Adam was dealing with. Thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow. Futility. Your life is futility. Solomon you know, was, was considered the wisest man in the world but he, and the wealthiest, but he, he, he went off track for a while there. I don't know if you know the story of his life, but when he wrote uh, the Song of Solomon, it was about, he, he, I mean, he was, the Bible said he was the wealthiest man who ever lived and ever will live, okay? So he had all these guys, Bill Gates, whoever they are, you know, all these billionaires that, you know, walk around like they own the world, they were they, what they their their wealth their treasure was was pocket change to Solomon, and he said about all with all that he had all his resources to find to to explore all the treasures or all the pleasures I should say that this world had to offer. He ended up marrying like a thousand women. It's I mean, it's crazy crazy life. But his conclusion was it's all vanity. It's all vanity. But it's all vanity what? Under the sun. It's all vanity this side of heaven, <laughs> in other words. It's not vanity if you look past the sun to the sun himself, S-O-N. So cre creation, it's all futility. It's all vanity. This creation is subject to futility. But because of him who, suggest, who subjected it in hope, God suge, subjected it in hope. He knew it was a temporary thing. And because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole earth creation groans and labors in birth pangs together until now. You know, Jesus talked about things like earthquakes and natural disasters at the, at the, at the end of the age. And he said, these are the beginnings of sorrows. I don't know if you know anything about giving birth but you know when when there's birth pangs you start getting twitches but when it gets closer and closer and closer that the moment of birth is coming to pass so when things are going to be getting violent out there and it gets and you know when you see you know basically all hell breaking loose on the earth and and with natural disasters and floods and famines and all these different things and, and they're coming closer and closer and closer together. It's like, seems like there's one on top of another on top of another. Sound familiar? This plague, that earthquake, that tornado, that birth pangs. We're getting close to the end here. And all creation is groaning and straining and looking forward to this to, uh, together until now. But not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the, of the spirit See, like I told you before, your body is, the redemption of your body is bought and paid for. It's just not manifested yet, right? And Second uh, Corinthians says that that's, that's so the excellency of the glory be, God and, be of God and not of you. I mean, some of the apostles in the book of Acts, it was all they could do to keep, with the power of God that was working through them, were all they could do to keep people from worshiping them, Right? one point they had to run through the crowd ripping their their shirt their you know clothes open say no look we're just flesh and blood we're not god's people we're trying to worship them. you know imagine if we if, if god redeemed our bodies here It'd be even worse i mean you know when every time someone sees an angel they try to worship it and the angel's saying no, no no don't do that i'm a servant of god too so we groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our bodies and you, folks you need to be con uh, eternally minded right eternally minded if if all your hopes and dreams are here in this life you're setting you're setting your goals much too low like i said it's going to go fast and and literally it could end any day i mean the rapture of the church could happen at any time for we are saved in this hope this is what we anchor our and and frankly if you have your soul anchored to that hope nothing in this life is going to rock you that bad it just isn't. It just isn't. This whole life is a vapor of smoke. There's just nothing to get all bent out of shape about here. I don't care what it is. Do you know the Bible even tells us not to be, not to grieve people who die in the Lord? I know Christians that have lost people and, and you know, that have lost loved ones that Years later, they're still grieving. Why? That's self. That's self consciousness. Did you, oh, did you? By the way, do you know why? That's why Adam and Eve hid themselves because they, they, instead of God conscious, they became self conscious. That's wrong. I mean, if they were if they were thinking of their loved one, they'd be rejoicing. I mean, I'm not the one who wrote the scripture. God said, "Sorrow not." Your priorities are wrong. If they're in heaven, you should be rejoicing. And you're going to see him soon anyway. Why does one hope for? We are saved in this hope. Remember I told you, Bible hope is, is something that is absolutely going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. 
Why does one still hope for what he sees? You don't hope for what you see. So, Jesus broke the curse. Next time when we come back, again, we're going to talk about that much more. Much more. But in the meantime, the things I want you to get from this lesson, so that when you're in the world, because you're going to be in the world, God wants you in the world. God wants you to be the light in the world, but he wants you to be aware of the enemy's tactics. Three things he's going to come at you with. Can someone repeat them back to me? That's the middle one. <laughs> pride of life, that's the third one, first one. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Guard your heart with all diligence. That's the garden God's given you. Protect it, for out of it flows your life. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Hey, Marty.